0: There are few CEOs of South African state-owned enterprises in recent years who have caused as much of a stir as one little-known, low-profile Andre Dureta, former chief executive of Eskom. Now, Andre, unfortunately, cannot be here in person today because he's having this pesky little security issue, namely loads of people want to off him. But... You guys are actually lucky that he isn't here in person because he knows. He knows about those copies of his book that you have on your WhatsApp groups right now in PDF format. And he knows about them and he's not happy. Neither is his publisher. André Duretta is also quite extraordinarily tall. It may not have escaped your attention. Little known fact, um, André Dureta actually caused the original hole in the ozone layer just with his head. And if he could do that to the ozone layer, imagine what he could do to you and your pirated copies of his book. Let's hear what the man himself has to say.
1: Good day, and thank you for this opportunity to address the Daily Maverick, The Gathering, particularly with a focus on matters environmental. I'm very pleased and honoured to have been given the opportunity to share some of my thoughts about what South Africa needs to do to expedite its progress on the road towards a decarbonized economy. Now, if you look at the facts around decarbonization, I think the case is pretty clear cut by now to everybody who believes in making data-driven decisions. And we can call the main arguments for decarbonization the five E's. First of all, of course, we can delay our energy crisis. Uh, by rapidly deploying renewable energy at scale, we and now have a proven technology, both wind and solar, uh, that is the cheapest, uh, more than competitive against new coal, new gas, new nuclear, but more importantly can be deployed within between 18 months and two years at utility scale, thereby addressing the much-needed shortfall of roundabout 6 gigawatts in generation capacity that the country requires so we can resolve our energy crisis. The second E is our economy. We can remove the constraints that the energy crisis places on our economy. We can restore investor confidence. We can catalyze an enormous amount of investment amounting to approximately 1.2 trillion rand that is required to enable this. And we can do so by making use of concessional financing that is available to us from Western countries who are keen to assist us in enabling this just energy transition. But of course, then we need to behave reasonably. We need to choose our partners very carefully And we need to take account of the fact that geopolitics are at play and we can't just pick and choose our friends and ignore our own interests by siding with the pariahs of the world. The third E is employment. Now, if you're a coal miner, you have justifiable concerns that your job may be imperiled by the transition away from coal. And that's a legitimate concern, and we should not make light of it. But it's also important to emphasize that numerous studies have indicated that up to 300,000 net new jobs, i.e. after the job losses in the coal sector have been accounted for, 300,000 net new jobs will be created if this new energy transition is deployed wisely and in a structured manner rather than chaotically as is. pretty much the case at the moment. So there's a real opportunity for us to combat the 38% unemployment rate, which is simply catastrophic and unsustainable in our country by focusing on the just energy transition. Very importantly, we can protect our exports. Carbon border adjustment mechanisms or carbon taxes are a reality and they will be applied by our major trading partners, starting with the European Union and probably the United States as well. In the very near future, the European Union will start implementing these from next year already. And this will impute a carbon content based on the carbon footprint of manufactured goods, agricultural goods, uh, minerals that are processed, but also minerals that are mined. And this will make our exports increasingly uncompetitive in a world where decarbonization is already one of the major themes that occupies the minds of policymakers everywhere. Now, this is not something that um, is a threat. We know that the hillside smelter has already lost market share because of the fact that it buys its electricity from ESCOM. And with South Africa being the 12th largest emitter of carbon dioxide in the world, having an economy that is one and a half times more carbon intensive than China, twice as carbon intensive as the global average, we are at a unique disadvantage when it comes to the carbon intensity of the goods that we export. So if we want to maintain our export markets, then we had better pay attention to how do we quickly and effectively decarbonize our electricity supply. So economy and with it a subset of exports, critically important. Then, of course, there's the environment. South Africa is uniquely susceptible, by some accounts twice as susceptible as other countries, of the risks of climate change. And we cannot ignore that. We cannot pretend that we have the right to continue to burn coal and ignore the impact that climate change will have on our country. And it is therefore critical that we engage with climate change and play our role as a global citizen, bearing in mind that carbon is a global phenomenon and that we ensure that we can also make a contribution to reducing overall carbon emissions. ESCOM itself is a very large carbon emitter. At Secunda, reportedly, we have the single biggest point source emitter of carbon dioxide in the world. So we cannot ignore these very uh, clear signals that Uh, we have an undesirable negative impact on the economy. There's also the fact that burning the amount of coal that we do, about 160 million tons or so per annum, has a huge negative impact on the health of our people. And there are reportedly more than 2,000 premature deaths annually due to Uh, the effects of coal burning, particularly on the high felt in Mpumalanga. We can also play a role in releasing additional water into uh, the Vol River system. One of the key risks accompanying climate change is that we can expect a mega drought to hit the country within the next decade. And this is not an idle threat. This is accompanied by some very uh, diligent and thorough uh, climate modeling done by the University of the Witwatersrand. And if we're able to release uh, some of the huge quantities of water currently used by coal-fired power generation, we will be able to build in a resilience in our water supply systems that otherwise would not be available. And this will be available without significant additional investment. The reason for that is that the dam infrastructure is already there. The irrigation infrastructure is already there, particularly with the Khurd Rai Dam essentially built to supply ESCOM and SASL and the irrigation infrastructure that emanates from the Val River system uh, being able to accommodate twice the volume of water that it currently does. So we really have the infrastructure ready in place to accommodate more water. If we shut down the 22, 23 gigawatts of generation capacity by 2035, as was the ESCOM strategy at the time that I left, then we will release sufficient water back into the Vol River system to supply 220 litres of water per day. That's about a bathtub full of water per day, for 200 million people. So that's about three times the population of South Africa. Now, you can imagine how much more resilient that will make our economy and our environment to the ravages of climate change. So there's a really strong moral imperative, fewer deaths due to ambient air pollution, but there's also a very important hydrological argument and a climate resilience argument to be made to accelerate move away from coal. The fifth E, arguably, is the most challenging one, and that is equity. The challenge is how do we implement these changes in a way that does not leave behind ghost towns, similar to what happened with uh, the north of England when the coal mining pits there were shut down without any thought to the people who worked in those coal pits. And we must avoid that situation. We cannot continue to uh, contribute to an already uh, very high unemployment rate in Mpumalanga. that is higher than the national average. Gender exclusion rates in Mpumalanga are significantly higher than the national average. And youth unemployment is among the highest in the country. And we cannot leave behind a legacy where those negative social indicators are exacerbated. So, we need to engage and engage in a in a way that demonstrates empathy understanding and a willingness to listen and to co-create solutions with those people who will be affected by this transition it is easy to glibly quote examples of horse-drawn carriages in london at the turn of the century uh, and how quickly they were forced off the street by the internal combustion engine or the fax machine, or typewriters, or uh, manually operated telephone exchanges, it's easy to do so. But if we do not engage in a constructive, positive, and enlightened way with people who will be affected by this transition, it is my fear that we will run into a brick wall of opposition where we will politically and economically not be able to make this much-needed transition. And therefore, my plea to the gathering is that we also think about who have real concerns about being left behind. Who are those people who have legitimate fears that they may not survive the transition and that they will lose hard-won gains in terms of their socioeconomic status? And when we were able to present solutions such as ESCOM came up with for the shutdown of Kamati, building uh, 100 megawatts of uh, solar PV plant at the power station, 70 megawatts of uh, wind generation, building an assembly line for uh, the assembly of modular microgrids and building a training college. For the retraining and repurposing, reskilling of people so that they can be gainfully employed in the new industry. If we do not energetically engage with initiatives such as those, we may lose the opportunity of gaining a significant stimulus for the economy of South Africa, cleaning up our economy, solving the energy crisis, and creating new good jobs for our people going forward. This is a huge opportunity, but it requires us to have a coherent policy environment. We need to have supportive industrial policies. We need to have supportive labor policies. We need to have environmental policies that enable us to manage this transition carefully, deliberately, but also without creating gaps where we can potentially uh, have backsliding and continue to burn coal when it is clearly uh, no longer the appropriate way of generating electricity going forward. And this requires leadership. And it is this leadership that I believe must increasingly come from civil society, from opinion formers, from the media, to ensure that we can manage this transition, that we can enable this transition for the benefit of South Africa. Let's be clear, this is not a moonshot. This is not impossible. This is not something that we cannot do as a country. This is eminently within our grasp, but it requires resolve, it requires urgency, and it requires leadership to grasp this opportunity. And it is an opportunity, it is not a threat. And once we do that, we will be able to move forward And to ensure that South Africa, rather than once again, for poor policy reasons, becoming a pariah on the world stage, can lead the world and can ensure that uh, we become and remain a competitive country from an environmental perspective, from an export perspective, but also from an energy perspective And uh, this is my fond hope for South Africa, that we're able to find the wherewithal to grab this opportunity with both hands and run forward with it. I want to thank the Daily Maverick for the opportunity of uh, sharing some thoughts with you today. And I wish all the participants in the gathering all the best and may you have a great conference. Thank you very much.